Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Chris Stroud and Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Remember, Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of our friends at CMF Curo. You can learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, all three of us co-hosts will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network as we discuss sunlight and your skin. I get to serve as the expert while Chris and Andrew will salt and pepper me with questions. You're really into skin things. Funny how that works. (laughs) (laughs) Why is this topic important, the sun and your skin? Number one, every person listening has skin. Number two, Mm. every person listening or watching is exposed to visible and ultraviolet light. Number three, we know that visible and ultraviolet light cause permanent changes in the skin, most of which people do not like to have. Therefore, I think people want to know how to keep their skin looking younger instead of older. You know, the first thing that pops into my head is trying to imagine what it must have been like to grow up in the McGovern household. <laughs> and I think about one of that my... That brim is too short. Right. <laughs> putting sunscreen on... He may be listening, so I won't say his name, but putting sunscreen on one of my sons was like watching WWF wrestling. <laughs> you know, he, he hated sunscreen. He still hates it to this day. But, uh, but it must have been tough to have a dermatologist as a dad. You had to learn to love sunscreen. I'll bet. Well, but it was especially challenging because I have relatively fair skin, whereas my wife has sunburned once in my life, or <laughs> once in her life. Uh, she just, you know, one of those olive complected beauties. So, yeah. Andrew, you see huge numbers of patients for huge numbers of things. Uh, as a family physician, how does skin stuff come up in your professional life? You know, the, it's it's interesting. Most of the people who should be worried about it, I think, aren't. <laughs> and then by the time, I guess that's the case for most things in medicine. But then the time that it comes off uh, an awful lot is as folks get older and the skin starts doing weird things they wish wouldn't happen. Uh-huh. It's like, we could have worked on this a little bit more 30 years ago, mm-hmm. but uh, here we are. Although I will say there, there was one time I was in the ER and somebody took an ambulance to the ER for a sunburn. Oh. And I was like... I don't think this was ambulance worthy. Uh. Um, Let me tell you a story. (laughs) (laughs) Jamaica, spring break, first year of college. I'm playing in the Michigan Tech University Jazz Lab Band at the Casa Montigo in Montigo Bay, Jamaica, Yaman. I'm also playing uh, piano in a reggae band, saxophone in the jazz band. So one day, one of our listeners loved us, and he had a sailboat. He took the whole band out on the boat in Montego Bay. Oh, nice. I, with my type 1.5 skin that always <laughs> burns, uh. was exposed to you know, near-equatorial sunlight. I burned so bad that mm. the next day I woke up, I felt like I had creatures yeah. crawling in my skin. It can be horrible. I'm standing in a hot water shower all day just so the beating of the water would – and I was I, – I looked possessed to some of the people. They called an ambulance. <laughs> oh they took me in an ambulance to a hospital in Montego Bay, Jamaica. And, you know, I looked later. What did they give me? They gave me Benadryl, which was only useful in trying to put me to sleep. Meanwhile, it's a <laughs> 16-year-old Jamaican girl with a, her own little baby there, and she tried to get me to marry her and take her back to the States. Oh. oh. And, and I almost died in the ambulance on the way there. I mean, it's careening all over the roads. And, of course, they're driving on the, quote, wrong side of the road there down on that island. I was – it was – so, yes, I have been in an ambulance – because of sunburn. See, I thought that was going to be a unique story. But well, it is a unique story. <laughs> I don't know anyone else has that guy. story. Yeah, I yeah. am that guy. I didn't recognize you. We could do an entire episode just on the international escapades of Tom McGovern. <laughs> that is true. Oh, yeah, I guess we could. But we won't. <laughs> you know, in, in my practice of obstetrics, I, the skin comes up the most... Uh, pregnant women going on vacation to the beach. That comes mm-hmm. up a lot. Ah. There's, they always have sunburn questions. And, you know, the reality is pregnancy makes you sun sensitive like some medications do. And then the other funny reality is just like the top of my head, round things absorb, <laughs> absorb the sunlight differently. So yeah. a pregnant woman with a big round belly, her belly will fry. 
when the rest of her body doesn't because of the roundness and that it sticks up. Right, it has more that's somewhat horizontal instead of all vertical. Yeah, and so that comes (laughs) up. I would say the other common question, we could probably get to this later in the episode, is they want to know if tanning beds are safe in pregnancy. And so we're trying to say, well, the, the tanning bed issue isn't different in pregnancy. But so don't try to trick me into answering that. Uh, answering Baby that does question. nothing for the tanning bed. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's interesting because actually some of the patients we share, namely the little babies, uh, that's the other place where I get a lot of questions where most people don't worry too much about their own health or, or not enough in the right way. People love to worry about their kids because they want to be a good parent. Oh, sure. So we get lots of questions about babies and, and the son. We'll get there. We'll get there. But maybe we should just talk, you know, a little bit of the basics before we go into some of those deeper questions. And, you know, uh, sunlight has a number of different wavelengths of light. And, you know, mostly we think of, you know, Roy G. Biv, red, red, orange, yellow, blue, green, indigo, violet. I think mostly you think of that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not sure our listeners Point well taken. So visible light. We think of visible light. And to some extent, we think of ultraviolet light. Yeah. And we can divide ultraviolet light into the ABCs. And uh, the the C never gets through our atmosphere. So it's and blocked. the ABCs, are these just wavelengths? Yep. Ultraviolet A ultraviolet B, ultraviolet C. So if we talk wavelengths of light in nanometers, you know, visible light is from 400 to 700. The shorter wavelengths have higher energy. So ultraviolet light has more energy than does visible light. Mm. So ultraviolet light with the uh, lowest energy is ultraviolet A. That's the stuff that, you know, our window tinting blocks. Mm. Then, or we call it black light. Then there's ultraviolet B. Ultraviolet B is the most problematic of the ultraviolet B light for sources. bad. B for bad uh, and B for burn. Mm-hmm. Whereas ultraviolet A, A for aging. So mm. we're going to talk about aging of the skin due to ultraviolet A light, burning of the skin due to ultraviolet B, and ultraviolet C, it just it never makes it through the atmosphere. Um, and so then we're going to talk about, you know, when is it important to protect from these? How powerful are they? Well, they're so, ultraviolet B is so powerful that the, the equal amount of it is a thousand times stronger for causing skin cancer or sunburn than ultraviolet A. Wow. So ultraviolet B is the really natural. Now, natural sunlight contains 20 to 100 times more ultraviolet A than B. But because the B is so much stronger, it has 90 to 95% of the harmful effects of the ultraviolet light that's in sun. Now, 99%, 99% of ultraviolet B light is absorbed by the ozone in the atmosphere. So only 1% gets through. You know, if we didn't have ozone in the atmosphere, we would all die relatively young from ultraviolet B exposure. I haven't heard about the ozone in a while. How are we doing on that? That's a great question. (laughs) I just looked it up. Believe it or not, this is one thing where, you know, what the EPA and other civil organizations, they got right. Because the CFCs, the chlorofluorocarbons in propellant sprays, we're depleting the ozone. The ozone layer is healing. Mm. So the ozone layer was depleted about 10% in temperate climates like where we are in the United States. And now um, it's improving 1% to 3% a decade so that by the 2030s, it should be back to normal baseline. And to be clear, sprays that you buy today are CFC-free. Correct. Yeah, but it's not that the stray, spray today is bad. The spray then was bad so, yeah. because it had the CFCs in they it. They figured that out in the 70s. So yeah. so this is actually a win, an environmental win. And yes, it does make a difference. I mean, skin cancer is the most rapidly increasing cancer in the world. Isn't it kind of ironical, though, that ozone, or O3 in chemistry class, yeah. is toxic? You know, right. If you ingest it, it will kill you. Yet it's saving us from, from the sun at the same time. It's, it's really interesting. One, one gift I got in medical school, kind of an interesting one from my father-in-law, was an ozone machine. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen those. Oh, no. We used it in a house that had had a lot of cigarette smoking. So mm. you use an ozonator to help get rid of that smell. Well, mm. and they used to use it for skin diseases where it was like a, a unfiltered light that also created ozone. Huh. And this was sold in oh like my the 40s goodness. or 50s. Wow. For, and of course now- Andrew's those, dad is a doctor. Yeah. Those, those people have skin cancer now, unfortunately. But uh, I do have that. I should have brought it in as a prop. That, that's fascinating. So Tom, we talked, so B for burn. A doesn't get, A is weak. Uh, that makes us hot in the car. What causes- the No, it doesn't make us hot. Infrared uh, makes us hot. Ah, uh, excuse me. So what causes the beautiful bronze look that we, that well, we love we'll, so we'll, much? Um, all right. Ultraviolet B light, 
only makes it into the top layer of skin, the epidermis. Yeah. Ultraviolet A light makes it deeper into the skin, mm. in, the, in the, the dermis, where our collagen is. That's what leather's made of, is collagen. So um, the, the bronzing happens because of actions in the epidermis. Mm. So, um, and, and we'll get to that, but we first need to talk about some people can bronze, some can't. Right. And so we talk about skin types. types yeah. mm -hmm. and, and that's important because we're gonna, I'm going to refer to these numbers one through six frequently. Well, type one skin means always burn, never tan. You just can't. Type two, where I live, always burn, sometimes tan. And then type three skin, sometimes burn, always tan. So these are the various levels of the quote, white or Caucasian skin. Mm. Then type four skin, never burns, always tans. These are usually olive-complected people. My wife pretty much lives here. And then you've got types five and six, the, you know, the brown skin and then the, the really dark brown to black skin. Mm. Uh, so there's going to be a big differences between the type one to three and then the type four to six skin when we get into how uh, how different types of uh, sunlight bother us. How, how do you think about advantages or disadvantages? They say the, the grass is always greener. For Tom, it's always darker. Oh, right? yeah. You, you, <laughs> you know what? The only advantage sun-wise to having light skin is that you don't get dark blotches from too much exposure. Mm -hmm. Okay. All the advantages are for the darker skin type. They get less skin cancer. They get less sunburn. They're actually able to better repair DNA that's damaged by the sun. Mm -hmm. So they only get DNA damaged less, but they can repair it even better. They have more pigment in their cells. The pigment is spread out through other cells in the skin even better, and it blocks the ultraviolet A light from going down and damaging the collagen and causing the typical aging, wrinkling effects. Mm. Wow. So darker is better. Darker is better as far as the sun goes, yes. Yeah, I mean, so if you're a Norwegian, you know, derived, mm -hmm. pale, freckly person, and you move to South America, you're asking for trouble, aren't you? Right, like a lot of Americans. Yeah. I mean, where else in the world do you have people exposing large swaths of type 1 and type 2 skin mm. to sunlight. Uh, and most equatorial regions, whether they wear, they wear long flowing garments that cover them. Sure. Right. And they have darker skin, naturally, right? And they have darker skin. Yeah. But before we get into some details, let's do a medical trivia question. Uh, let's. And let's, I went deep into the well of dad humor for this one. Category, entirely safe. What form of sun exposure is fully sanctioned by your doctor, doctor co-host? We'll be back with the answer at the end of the show, and we'll be back here on Dr. Doctor. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor, and Tom, it's time to talk more fascinating skin things. So you spend a lot of time in your life working as a dermatologist. How would you describe your patients' attitudes about sun and skin? Until they have a problem, they just like being out in the sun. Hold on. I think that's true, really, of that's human nature, isn't it? <laughs> it is human it's nature. It's not a problem until it's a problem. And, and in fact, even if you tell them what the problem is going to be, I remember having these teenage girls in for acne who were going to tanning beds tell me, oh, I won't care what my skin looks like when I'm older. Right. <laughs> yes. But of course, they think older is 30. <laughs> they they yeah. do. So they got a lot of years to not care about what their skin looks like. Um, no, they, you know, some people, it's a skin cancer. Some people, it's just sunburn. It hurts. Yeah. And, and other people, they develop these dark blotches that don't go away. So once they notice these things, then they become interested. Yeah. I, I mean, in my work, I spend my whole time talking to women. It seems like it's common to not think about sun and sun damage until it begins to become a cosmetic effect. Right. Uh, and then it's something of concern, and they want to see you to look better. Right. Yeah. What, what do you think would be the most common ways that people think about the sun in their skin and do they have a good understanding of it would you say uh, almost everybody knows about sunburn uh, many people think a tan is healthy uh, many know about skin cancer but that's something that happens to other people uh, and there's some things I'm going to talk about on the show today that I didn't even know about until recently so I, I don't think there's much that people really do know uh, except maybe sunburn and I'm in skin cancer all day long. I really don't know how much the average person knows about skin cancer. Skin cancer is the most common type of cancer, right? Yep, there's over 5 million a year in the United States. All other cancers put together, just over 1 million. I, I, a thing I'll tell folks anecdotally, and you can myth bust me here, for, for people with very fair skin, it's, it's less of an if and more of a when 
that they're going to have precancerous spots like actinic keratosis and stuff. Right. The precancer spots, actinic keratosis or AKs, half of white Americans over 40. So half, if you have type 1 or 2 skin, half will have some precancers by the age of 40. And, and for 40. folks with the, the low pigment skin, yep. what percentage of them get cancer, skin cancer in their life? You know, they just have the the quote that one, 20% of Americans mm. by the age of 70. So that's all comers. I remember there was a study done in the Northeast U.S. that said by the age of 85, uh, I think over half of the fair-skinned Americans would have at least one basal cell carcinoma. So type 1 or 2. And then the majority right. of North Americans are type 1, 2, maybe a little 3, right? Correct, yes. Yeah. But, you know, thinking about it, it seems necessary to get to the root of the evil. I bet on a survey, everyone would say, sun's bad for you, causes cancer. But those same people would say, they think the most attractive person is the person that's bronzed from the sun. What's with our obsession with the tanned look? I don't know. It's relatively recent historically because if you look, you know, 100 years ago, the wealthy people dressed up so that they wouldn't have tans because that's right. what the laborers had, the people who had to work for a living, you know, outside. But it's almost as though it's in our cultural DNA. We like dark skin. And we think it's healthy, too. Yeah. Where a lot of times you can you can look at somebody and say, well, they, they look healthy. Yeah. Maybe they just get out more. I now, don't know. I will admit, I, I have an African son and daughter, and I put my arm next to my, <laughs> my, to my daughter's arm, and... Her skin is absolutely beautiful. It isn't one color. It's multiple colors. Yes, it's multiple shades. There's all sorts of colors within it. It's beautiful. And then I look at mine and I think, hey, it's awful. You know, um, <laughs> but there's something that's unique, that, but yet at the same time is almost universal. We like dark skin. Yeah, it, it looks attractive to, to most people. Yeah. And, and that creates the problem that we're talking about. I, I want to get that dark skin, so I'm going to go lay in the sun at the beach. Yes. Tell us, Tom, what are some good things that the sun does for your skin? Well, it warms us up. Yeah, we'll, so stop, we'll stop beating up the sun for just a minute. We'd be <laughs> awfully cold. And, and the, of course, the sun is responsible for virtually almost all the energy on our planet. So we wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for the sun. It helps make vitamin D3 in our skin. There's a lot of people that go outside for the vitamin D, right? There are some people who do that, yes. I, I have a lot of people, especially in the springtime in Indiana where we record, who say, I can't wait till the sun comes out. I just need to get some more vitamin D. I'll right. start feeling better <laughs> over the winter. I mean, seasonal affective. I think it affects all of us to some extent. Well, yeah, the seasonal affective disorder is probably visible light in the blue light, so it's not the ultraviolet light. You know, a fascinating thing about uh, the vitamin D. So the first step in making it is done in the top layer of the skin, the epidermis. But the wavelength of light most responsible for it is the same wavelength that's most effective at causing sunburn and most effective at causing skin cancer. So it's ultraviolet B around 300 nanometers. Mm. And what's uh, fascinating, I was just researching this, probably for half of the year in the United States, white people, or any people, uh, it's even darker skin, less so, can get enough sunlight to really make enough vitamin D. I mean, so this idea that we've created a vitamin D epidemic by protecting our skin, it isn't really valid because in the best case, we can't make that much, right? Right. Now, the part that's true is we do make less vitamin D when we use sunscreen. Sure. Absolutely true. But there are studies like one of my favorite ones, Hawaiian surfers spending over 20 hours a week outside surfing. They tested their vitamin D levels and over half of them were still in below normal range, what they decided was a normal range. So even these people are not getting enough. Sound like sunscreen users. Uh, right. Well, some of them weren't. <laughs> but, but no, but I mean, but, 20 hours should overcome even sunscreen But, use. you know, we've talked about it before. We've even done episodes on it. But maybe we should pause a second and, and explain to listeners why vitamin D even matters. Why are we talking about vitamin D? Well, it's important for calcium um, level control in the body, uh, important for, you know, making strong bones and teeth. Mm, right. But it also plays um, uh, some other roles. In fact, there was, you know, interesting studies both with sunburn and with COVID, uh, where people with lower levels of COVID didn't do as well as people with higher baseline levels. Not saying the vitamin D was a treatment, mm. but that your underlying levels, same thing with healing from sunburn. People do much worse if their vitamin D levels are low than if they're in the normal range. Uh -huh. mm. But 
just because you have higher levels or supranormal levels doesn't make you better. It's like your car needs the right amount of oil in it. More oil isn't going to make the car run better. So this is one of those cause versus association questions. Yes. Does vitamin D cause uh, these effects or is it just associated people Mm -hmm. who are healthier, higher levels of vitamin D also do healthier in these things as well? Correct. Now, another good thing the sun can do is it can treat some skin diseases. It can treat psoriasis. It can treat eczema. It can treat, you know, a form of lymphoma that's in the skin. Uh, It can treat vitiligo where the skin is missing pigment. Um, So, yes, we have light boxes that we have used for years, but they're being replaced now as safer treatments become available. Tom, what about the bane of every teenage listener, acne and sun? You know, that is a... There might be a little bit of truth to that because sunlight has both pro-inflammation properties, causing inflammation, but also has some anti-inflammation properties. That's why it's used in some of those skin diseases. So does it help the inflammation of acne? Maybe, but what I used to tell my acne patients, it just makes your skin red to hide the redness of the acne. So now it all looks a little bit pink, (laughs) so you don't notice the blotchiness. Tom, I've, I've had a lot of people with different skin diseases tell me that they get better when they're out in the sun, and they go out in the sun intentionally to get better. Sure. Even for things as small as like the keratosis pilaris, more of a cosmetic type concern. Does that effect still happen if they have sunscreen on? Oh, that's a good question. So if the effect is due to ultraviolet light, which most of it is, if it's due to ultraviolet B, then no, that would block the the benefit of it. If it's due to ultraviolet A, our sunscreens are not great at protecting against ultraviolet A in the United States. So they would probably still get some um, benefit if the ultraviolet A is the cause. Is there any dermatologic treatments that we still recommend, extra sun or sun boxes or anything like that? Uh, light boxes are are still used to try to help some people with vitiligo where they've lost mm-hmm. the pigment in their uh, skin, but it's very small amounts to try to stimulate your stem cells that can make pigment. Uh, it's used to be used a ton for psoriasis. There are now so many good treatments for psoriasis and for atopic dermatitis, eczema, that the use of light boxes has plummeted. It's probably less than 10% of it, what it was when I was training. So people who are doing this kind of on their own, I guess a message would be there's something better out there than putting yourself at risk for skin cancer. Mm. Yes. Well, let's let's focus our light, you might say, on sunburn for a minute. Sure. So do I need to go get a sunburn in order to, to be tanned? What's going on with sunburn? That's a great question because growing up, that's what my dad said. And my dad <laughs> had type 1 skin, so he never tanned. Um, you got to burn first. And as I found out, I just found out a few weeks ago, that is actually true if you have type 2 skin. Mm. To induce the tanning response, you have to get more than uh, an MED, a minimum erythema dose. And and that's the amount of sun you need to get redness, which is how the SPF, the sun protection factor, is determined. So, yep, if you have type 2 skin, you're never going to get any tan unless you burn at least once. I am not recommending this. But uh, for other skin types, darker skin types, 3 and above, you don't need to burn for the tanning effect to happen. But for the tanning effect to happen, at least the longer-lasting one, you have to kill some of your skin cells. Wow. Mm. And then the DNA breaks up into little particles, and those little particles turn on the mechanism that stimulates production of more pigment, and then that pigment is shunted out of the pigment-making cells into the cells around it that don't make pigment, but they get some of their own storage. And where do they put that pigment? It's like they put little caps right above the nucleus where the DNA is. So the cells, it's amazing the way God made these cells that the melanocytes that make pigment hand off through these long arms, these little balls of pigment, the keratinocytes in the skin pick it up and they put it like a hat right over their DNA. (laughs) (laughs) So Tom, when, when we see a person who looks tan and we are like, they look really healthy or yes. they look really beautiful. <laughs> Do you just see a future patient? Oh my gosh. When I go to especially these uh, you know, uh, cocktail parties before events, <laughs> I look around, <laughs> I just think to myself, wow, there's a lot of bad skin in this room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I see. And, right. and it's just like, well, it's the opposite. Like when I see someone after surgery who's healing, it's, oh, that looks outstanding. And the patient's like, this looks awful. <laughs> so it's, it's perspective. Well, let's do a little myth busting on, on sunburn, I guess. Um, what is worse for you in terms of your overall cancer risk? 
your total exposure to the sun or burning episodically? Uh, it's total exposure. Really? It, it all adds up. You know, there used to be this myth around when I was in my training, and it's from a study in the 70s, that you get half of your sun exposure by the time you're 18. Mm -hmm. False. They re-examined the data, and they found out by age 18, you get about 23% of your sun exposure, which is about 23% of a normal lifespan. So it all adds up. It all matters because an individual cell needs multiple episodes of different types of sun damage in the DNA before it turns into cancer. So burning or not burning, it's lifetime exposure of your sun to the damaging rays that's going to make a patient of yours with cancer. Yes. You never have to have a sunburn to get skin cancer. Uh, that's a good point. Tom, I know pretty soon we're going to have to take a break for the radio, but before we go and we're on the sunburns, what can people do instead of going to the hospital in Jamaica? <laughs> Please if, don't do that. If, if they didn't give you Benadryl, <laughs> what would you recommend topically or by mouth for a patient with sunburn? Well, when you, you burn your skin, it's not going to hold on to fluid as well. So you need to increase your fluid intake because mm -hmm. you're going to be, you know, evaporating a lot of it from your skin. Then an emollient cream, better than a lotion. So a lotion has more water, a cream has less, an ointment has none. So you need something thicker to seal the moisture in. And, you know, take a, a, a warm uh, shower and then put on, because then you'll be sealing uh, moisture in. Then take non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs mm -hmm. as soon as you can. Not Tylenol. Tylenol does not help inflammation, but something like ibuprofen will. And then there's this really bizarre study. I'm not recommending this, but they gave people who got sunburn 200,000 units of vitamin D3. <laughs> That's a year's worth of, you know, a normal dose. And these people had better healing and less dead sunburn cells if they took this an hour after exposure to sunburn. How many pills do you have to take for that? Uh, well, if they were, it depends, yeah. a lot. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, they didn't meet my grandmother because she used to put my sister and I in a vinegar bath for sunburns. Uh, and with that, we'll have to take a break and we'll talk more about my grandmother and son on Dr. Doctor. And we're back with Dr. Doctor here doing our video and radio production. <laughs> and Tom is in the hot seat again with skin and skin issues. We're talking about sunburns. Yes. Is it true or false that you can get a sunburn through a window? Uh, you cannot get sunburn through uh. window glass. So ultraviolet B is all absorbed by uh, window glass. Uh, it only blocks about one-fourth of ultraviolet A, the, ultra, the black light, so-called. Follow-up question. <laughs> People who have little babies who have jaundice, and they always want to put their baby in front of a in window. In front of a window. I was just thinking. In lieu thing. of yeah. a Billy Blanket, which is, the, you know, the medical treatment. Right, the Billy Rubin light. I, honestly, uh, you'll have to tell me. I can't remember what the wavelength is for that conversion. Chris knows. Yeah. No, Chris knows. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I'd I have to look to that up. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but it is funny. But the other thing I was thinking is if you can't sunburn through a window, why do plants do well in front of a window? But it's oh. different wavelengths, right? Yeah. Well, and I looked this up. So chlorophyll which is what does the photosynthesis in a plant, it's all, it's the uh, visible light wavelength. So it's mostly between four and 500 nanometers, mm. blue light to some green. And then it's toward the red end, the 600 to 700 nanometers. Yeah. And there are other chemicals besides chlorophyll, uh, even between 500 and 600 that do some absorbing. So for the jaundice baby, they, if they put them in the windowsill, they need to open the window. Right, because I think <laughs> it is ultraviolet B that is important for that reaction. That breaks down that protein. And you don't want to get too much in little baby skin. Right, right. Man, well, see, there we go, myth busting. <laughs> why, Tom, why do people like uh, tanning beds so much? Is there an addictive component to this? So tanning beds are mostly ultraviolet A light, uh -huh. which is one one thousandth as intense as ultraviolet B. The problem is even most tanning beds have up to 3% ultraviolet B mm. in them, but that 3% is big because it's a thousand times as potent as the ultraviolet A light. And if we go back to the beginning, the A is not bronzing people. That's aging people, right? Right. Now, it does have some – there are two different tanning pathways. There's something called immediate pigment darkening that occurs with ultraviolet A light. It's a redistribution of the already existing melanin. Mm. And that can last, you know, hours to, to days. Mm. Uh, but not a long, not long term. The long term tan is only due to the ultraviolet B light, which stimulates the production of more melanin, more pigment. Mm. Now, there are some people who go to tanning beds who say, like you said, some of your patients do, they just feel better. Right. That is true. They do feel better because the skin makes this huge hairy 
protein that is broken down into parts. One of the parts makes pigment, oh. but one of the parts makes narcotics. Wow. Hmm. It's your own dealer is in your skin. <laughs> it makes endorphins in the skin. I wow. used to think it was in the brain. No, it's in the skin. And they've done studies showing that if you give naloxone, to these people, naloxone is something we give people to prevent to block the, the narcotic. Yeah. To block the narcotic, they get uh, symptoms like they're going off, like they need their wow. fix and they're not getting it. Wow. So not to bash the tanning bed industry, but so you're getting mostly A, which is less tan and more damage. Yeah, we, yeah. So what happens is, yeah, it goes down into the collagen and it causes permanent damage in the collagen. The collagen is what gives your skin its nice, firm, supple mm. look. And it also damages elastic fibers. So think in the middle layer of skin, deeper down, you've got these little rubber bands. Yeah. And you get enough ultraviolet A light and it breaks them into tiny rubber bands that can never never be put back together. So back to our early discussion about pregnancy and patients peppering me with tanning bed questions. Yes. What What is worse, exposing yourself to natural sun or exposing yourself in a tanning bed? Uh, you know, it's like asking <laughs> what's worse, getting getting hit by a boulder falling on you or getting hit in an auto accident. They're both bad. Well, They're maybe a different. better way to say it is there's no advantage to a tanning bed. It's not somehow less dangerous than just no, being exposed to the fact, sun. In fact, virtually every woman I see in her 30s with skin cancer, almost everyone has gotten it from tanning beds. Uh, interesting. So what amount of tanning bed is safe? That's like asking what speed on a highway is safe. So there is no absolutely safe speed. It's like asking what amount of alcohol is completely safe for not getting cancer. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's a direct correlation. The more alcohol, the more cancer. So it's like the rest of life. It's risk-benefit calculation. Mm, okay. So there is no absolutely safe amount of sun if you're looking at it in terms of damage to the skin, either aging, either uh, color changes, or, or skin cancer. You're passionate about skin health, Tom. Mm -hmm. Do you put on sunscreen every day? No. How, how do we make that decision? If I'm going to go out and walk the dog as opposed to going out and mowing, if I'm going to the beach, uh, right. when am I crazy to, oh, i got to put on that, sunscreen every time? <laughs> um, well, I don't carry a big sun protective bubble around with me. Uh, so the, I look at it, it, it's different levels of protection. So one level is, are you inside or outside? Hmm. Okay. If you're outside, what time of day are you outside? Oh. So um, the the worst time of day to be outside would be two hours either side of when the sun is the highest. Now, before we had time zones, that was always 10 to 2, mm -hmm. right around noon. Noon was defined by the highest point of the sun. No longer is that the case. Here in northeast Indiana, in the summer, the sun is the highest around 1.40 p.m. Hmm. So you, I try to avoid direct sunlight between 11.40 and 3.40. And you, siesta time mm -hmm. in the Malali house. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wife has your kids trained well. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you can look on your weather app. You can, you know, look halfway between sunrise and sunset, you know, two hours either side of that. Those are the hours. That four hours, 60% of the cancer-causing rays come through the atmosphere that time. Because if the sun is lower on the horizon, it has more miles of atmosphere, more miles of ozone that can absorb it. Wow. The more overhead the sunlight is, the less miles of atmosphere. That's why it's so much more damaging, especially the ultraviolet B, middle of the day versus. So that's next. Okay, time of day. Second is shade. Okay, mm. if you can be in shade, so much better. Yeah, you're still getting some sunlight, but far, far less. Third, sun protective clothing. So baseball hat does very little. So if you want a hat that's really going to protect you, it has to have at least a two-inch brim around it. Um, uh, some protective clothing. You know, they've got the clothing with the UPF factor, ultraviolet mm -hmm. protection factor, and it's usually a number 50. And unlike sunscreen, where the SPF is a best-case scenario, with the clothing, it's a worst-case scenario. Hmm. So 50 is the, the, the least amount of protection you'll get if you are perpendicular to the sun. If you're not perpendicular, you're going to get even more protection. Mm. And then finally, the last line of protection would be sunscreen. Mm. That's the way that I look at it. If there's still something exposed that you want to protect. And then with sunscreen, the average American, multiple studies show, puts on only a quarter to half the thickness you need to get the number on the tube. you got to put it on with a spatula, right? 
You know, I really wish that they did the SPF numbers based on the way people actually use it. <laughs> yeah. That would that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. But but they don't. So that's why I recommend it. The goal is like SPF 30. Great goal. That's why I recommend at least a 60 to people because if you're putting on half the thickness, you're getting that 30, which blocks almost 97% of the ultraviolet B light. And by the way, what is that? What is the the sunscreen number tell you? It tells you how well protects you against sunburn. It doesn't tell mm -hmm. the amount of protection against cancer, doesn't tell the amount of protection against getting uh, skin aging damage, or the mm -hmm. amount of protection against blotchiness on the skin. When, when we're talking about the clothes and the, yeah. the UPF, I think you said? Correct. Um, are those that much better than regular clothes? Yes, because an average t-shirt is like an SPF or a UPF of, well, a wet t-shirt is like two to three. A white t-shirt is like four or five. Mm. Oh, uh, wow. A dark blue men's dress shirt button down is like SPF 11. Okay. Uh, so it does make a difference. It does make a difference. Now, all of these things, uh, I'm sure you'll agree, don't matter if it's cloudy because you can't sunburn on a cloudy day, right? That's right. And by the way, when you get your skin cancers, I'll, I'll have my car <laughs> ready for you. No, Do you uh, mean to tell me my mother was right all these years that you can sunburn on a cloudy day? Absolutely. Because most cloudy <laughs> days will block maybe 20, 30% of the uh. ultraviolet light. I mean, you've got to have big thunderheads up there that are miles thick. They're going to uh, block a considerable amount. It, you know, it seems like it's worth pointing out, you were talking about the angle of the sun and the most intensity. Correct. It's not about heat. I, it's about the angle. So just because it's not a hot day. Now, in winter, the angle of the sun at the earth is a little different than it is in summer or if you're equatorial in Jamaica, for instance. Correct. It's different. But the principle is the same. When it's directly overhead, it's filtered less by the atmosphere. Right. That's and it's, when it's going to get Instead of trying to avoid those four hours, a simpler rule of thumb is the shadow rule. If your shadow is shorter than you are, try to stay out of direct sunlight. Mm. That means the sunlight is higher, less miles of atmosphere. So uh -huh. the shadow rule is the simplest rule for when to seek shade. That may be the most impressive thing I've ever heard you say. That was uh, <laughs> that was impressive. Well, I mean, you could teach it to kids, yeah. which the is the way I think. That's the way I like to think. Yeah. <laughs> the shadow rule. I got it. I like that. Tom, one of the, one of the things that I, I gather now is kind of a myth, this idea of the base tan. Yes. I, I've met people who will try and go to the tanning bed a little bit extra before spring break. Certainly. Um, so that they're protected when they go to Florida. Yes. How, what's the thought process there? Good thought process, bad? Well, the ultraviolet A tan of tanning beds isn't really going to protect you much. At, at best, you get like an SPF of two or three. Okay. Uh, That's and, pretty bad. Right. And, and you're really going to induce a lot of blotchiness in, in your skin tone going on. They have these cameras, they're called U, uh, ultraviolet cameras, that can take pictures of what you look like under ultraviolet light and you see all these blotches. Oh, wow. Yeah, Th those can be pretty effective. They started having those over 20 years ago at our American Academy of Dermatology meetings. Oh, wow. That was frightening. You look at that, it's like, <gasps> what am I doing to myself? Gee whiz, so base tan, bad idea. Uh, yeah, there, there's nothing there's nothing helpful about it. And, and one of the other thing that happens when you get ultraviolet B tan is your skin actually thickens. And it's thought that the protection against sunburn from tanning is even more due to the thickening of your skin than it is to the pigment. Now we touched on it a little bit earlier, but naturally dark skinned people, do, yes. they, do they have to worry about any of these things or do they just have to worry a little less? Well, if they have type five or six, like uh, Indian, African, uh, and then skin cancer rate is far, far lower. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've treated very few people with skin cancer. And the aging rays, the ultraviolet A, doesn't really get through very uh -huh. easily. What does happen, though, and this is a recent discovery, that not only ultraviolet A, but visible light. If you have type 4 to 6 skin, visible light can cause blotches, dark blotches on your skin that mm. last for years. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't happen in people with type 1, 2, and maybe type 3 skin. So it's th that's the one new thing I learned. Visible light, which accounts for half of the wavelengths that you know come to the earth energy-wise, um, can cause these changes. So that is what aging of the skin often looks like in dark skin patients. So visible light doesn't affect the light skin patients as much. Correct. It will cause redness. Mm -hmm. So visible light through window glass is what is often responsible for redness 
in us fair-skinned type of people. What's happening, Tom, with freckling, particularly in light-skinned people, that they'll go out in the sun for just a little and they come back with, you know, many, many more freckles than they had before the sun exposure? Th that's their body's abortive attempt to make a tan. Wow. Huh. I, <laughs> kind of a spotty job. Yeah. But the, the, the pigment is too it, far it, apart, right? It's, it's, it's not a different together. pigment, actually. Yeah. So people who freckle, instead of having... Um, what's called eumelanin or normal melanin, it's eumelanin, have what's called pheomelanin mm. or kind of a reddish pigment. So redheads, when they get freckles, that's pheomelanin, not the brown eumelanin. And so that's the response of this really poor version, uh, you know, kind of ugly stepsister version of of skin pigment. But it shouldn't be ignored. I mean, you can use that as a gauge to say, there's been a lot of exposure here. Right. Yeah. So when you've got freckles, um, that's a sign of somebody who's at high risk for skin cancer. Mm. That's, you know, Andrew was asking me off air, you know, who should have regular skin cancer exams? Well, adults mm -hmm. with freckles would be one of that group. Interesting. And I guess uh, another follow-up to that, we're talking about the different skin types. How much of this is just genetic? People are doomed. If you're a redhead and you make freckles, just sore luck, or is it more more sun exposure and less genetics? Well, it's it's a Catholic thing. It's both and. So <laughs> it's both genetics and sun exposure. So your genetics tell you how sensitive you're going to be mm. to the damage. And then the sun, the amount you get will determine how much actual damage you get. So if you have fairer skin, yeah, you got dealt from the, the bottom of the deck. Okay. <laughs> the skin cancer deck, that is. The, the skin cancer deck, the aging deck. Because, you know, when we talk about aging of the skin, what most people think of as aging is really due to sun damage. Hmm. Uh, there's these two pictures I remember being in one of my textbooks. One was of this 57-year-old uh, Native American woman in New Mexico. She looked like she was over 100 years old. Her skin just had the most deep-set wrinkles, thick, puffy skin, you know, between the wrinkles. And then there's a 90-year-old Tibetan Buddhist monk who almost never went outside as an adult, and he looks like he has baby skin. <laughs> Just you never guess he was like 90-some years oh. old. So, yeah, it's all about the, the things that happen with age to the skin. Yeah, gravity happens. Some of those elastic fibers get stretched, but not really as broken. And you lose some of the fat underneath the skin, so you have a little different um, shape to your face. But that's Tom, about it. We should probably clarify for listeners because we've done other shows where we talked about malignant melanoma, that really dangerous yes. mm -hmm. skin cancer that you can die from, versus when we typically say common skin cancers, it's a squamous cell carcinoma. But is there differences in terms of sun exposure and the likely result and what kind of cancer? So, uh, well, melanoma is the one that percentage-wise causes the, uh, the most deaths. Mm. Number-wise, squamous cell cancer in the U.S. causes more deaths than melanoma. Really? Because there's only about uh, 100,000 invasive melanomas a year in the U.S. There's over a million squamous cells and over 3 million basal cell carcinomas, uh -huh. which rarely leads to death. Uh, it seems like the chronic repetitive skin, sun exposure is more responsible for squamous cell cancer, the intermittent for basal cells. So legs of women. And, in fact, I, a patient just asked me, 80% of the squamous cell cancers I remove on legs are on women versus mm. men because they would be more likely to have skirts and, and that, you know, throughout their life. And is it true that malignant melanoma doesn't come in skin-exposed area, sun-exposed areas necessarily? It, it can be both, right. much more so than basal cell and squamous cell, where 80% of those are on the head or neck. Sun-exposed, okay. Yes. And when we're talking about genetics as well, how important is it if you have a family history of skin cancer? Or if you don't have a family history of skin cancer, should you feel like uh, that's not something I have to worry about? <laughs> uh, it, it really depends on what your skin type is and how much sun you get. So family history should, you know, make you more attuned to going into getting uh, checked out, but it's not necessary. I have a lot of people, we were talking the other day about colonoscopies, and they say, oh, I don't have any family history of that. I don't need to worry. I'm like, eh, I'd still worry. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would Sounds too. like skin's the same way. Everybody does not need an annual skin cancer exam. You know, the people who do, if you've got type 1 or 2 skin, and uh, if you have more than 50 moles, definitely. If you have type 1 skin, definitely. If you have a family history, yes, sometime maybe in your 30s be checked. Blue eyes, blonde hair red hair, uh, or if you see a spot on your skin that looks different than anything else, mm. be seen. How, how good is it? One of the things that I do sometimes during my physical exams, um, I'll say, are there any spots that you're worried about? 
have they studied that? Is that very effective at catching things? The way that that has entered into me is I see a lot of patients who say, I complained about this to my doctor, and they said it's nothing, <sighs> and it turned out to be something. Now, of course, I'm seeing the ones that were turned out to be cancer. I learned early in my career that if a patient says, there's just something wrong about this spot, I learned biopsy it. Mm. And far more often than I would have thought from the way it looked, it turned out to be cancer. Yeah. So patients know something. One thing that I want to mention be, before this ends that I learned that was fascinating was, you know, how visible light can damage skin uh, with darker skin types is that sunscreens now with antioxidants, they actually do make a difference. I thought it was just a lot of hype. No, they do. And I looked it up and we don't get money from any of these people, but Eucerin has this 5-AOX, 5-antioxidant thing. Well, it contains something called lycocalone, glyceratinic acid. It can actually help repair some sun damage, wow. uh, prevent damage from uh, sunburn, prevent the blotchiness, and block some of the visible light. Now, the only thing that really blocks a visible light is either thick zinc oxide containing sunscreen. So the ones where they make it tiny particles, well, guess what? It doesn't block the ultraviolet A and the visible light. Zinc mm. oxide is like baby diaper uh That's the cream, thick white, right? Paste. That's the right. stuff you that was, you know, on the noses but on of, their nose, of yeah. lifeguards. Right, and it's still the most effective ingredient in sunscreens. Now, what they have for darker skin patients that don't want to get the blotchiness from, from the visible light, if they have tinted sunscreens, which have different amounts of ferric oxide, iron oxide, hmm. to try to match it to your skin. So if you want to prevent this, you know, it can cause years-long damage. Even my wife with type 3 slash 4 skin, if she got a, a, a blotch from uh, an oil burn, it lasted 10 or 20 years wow. on her from that uh, pigment. So tinted sunscreens, sunscreens with antioxidants really do make a difference. Man, that's really good. Yeah, that's important stuff. I mean, everybody's got to worry about their skin because, like you said, we all have it. We do. <laughs> Thanks Tom, be to God. I don't want to see you out of your skin, Chris. No, no. <laughs> Tom, before before we cut for the, the next break, is there anything we're missing? I know I feel like we could talk all day about this. No, it's, uh, it's been fun indulging me in, you know, what I do all day long. Uh, you know, go outside, you know, enjoy being outside, but, you know, figure out what do you want to look like 10 or 20 years <laughs> from now uh, and protect yourself uh, accordingly. I mean, we and uh, we use spray sunscreens, you know, when we're out at the pool at the McGovern House. They're just so much easier mm. to apply, you know, okay. before we swim. You know, it's interesting. Listen, the people listening to us probably already have damaged their skin. The people not listening to us are the people that, <laughs> that probably should be listening to us. And that would be the teenagers yeah. because they're choosing their skin appearance when they're in their 40s, 50s, and beyond. So listeners, continue nagging your kids and grandkids. <laughs> well said. <laughs> and we'll be back with the trivia question after the break here on Dr. Doctor. And we're back here today, uh, wrapping up this episode, Dr. Doctor, about uh, the sun and your skin and sun exposure. And Tom, uh, he's got another medical trivia question for us. Yeah, right? so what form of sun exposure is fully sanctioned by your three Dr. Doctor co-hosts? Well, as one third of the Dr. Doctor co-hosts, I want to take no responsibility <laughs> for the pun you're about to release on our listeners. I know. It, it's bad. It's so bad, it's good, right? I'm, I'm hopeful. The, <laughs> the, the kind of sun exposure we have is the the one that's spelled S-O-N, Eucharistic Adoration. Nobody can get too much of that kind of sun exposure. It's only good for it you. It will not age you. It will not. It won't burn you. It will not. It might change your life. It will. <laughs> for the better. Right? And you don't have to pay for what it does to you. Uh, it's all free. Excellent true. points all. So, that's yes, Dr. Doctor um, supports Eucharistic Adoration, visiting Jesus in the tabernacle. In lieu of tanning beds. So maybe cut the tanning bed time, go to adoration instead. There you go. Wow, how would that change our lives? That'd be good. So, top three takeaways from this episode. Well, you guys are letting me go first with this. I, I guess, you know, you guys were intrigued by, you know, ultraviolet A light ages the skin. Ultraviolet B light uh, burns the skin and causes skin cancer. But also, sunscreen mainly blocks B blocks some A, but it doesn't block all the aging effects of A, and the aging effects of A can even go through window glass. So if you sit near a window all day long at your work, you are aging mm. the, sun, the skin that's... So, you know, if you want to look younger when you're older, 
you know, protect yourself against ultraviolet A. The one sunscreen that will do that is uh, the larger zinc oxide, especially with uh, the um, iron oxide pigments. Mm -hmm. my, my takeaway was a little pearl you threw in there right at the end, Tom, is for people who already have sun damage and you might feel like there's no hope, it's too late. <laughs> there is hope, there's always hope. And it's some of these antioxidant sunscreens and pigmented sunscreens for people with darker skin complexions, right? It can, it can help with the sun damage that leads to skin cancer. It doesn't help with the reverse the aging, but it will help to repair sunburn damage if you you know, have it on when you got sun exposed. In lieu of wearing long sleeves and black 24-7, Correct. Uh, you could do some of these things and that'll help. Yes. You know, and mine, I guess, a little more ethereal, but the thing that I keep thinking is this obsession with appearance uh, and that we are quite literally made in the image and likeness of our God. So leave that image alone. We don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't need to make it better. A bronze you is not a better you. And in fact, it may be a worse you because of all the things we've shared. So you're beautiful as God created you. No need to change that. Amen. So, yep, the, the sun is responsible for life on our planet. Without it, we wouldn't uh, be here physically. But since we are, yeah, try to, try to look good as long as don't, don't hurt yourself more than you need to to enjoy yourself in I, the sun. I was relieved to hear you say that you don't wear sunscreen every day. That makes me feel better because I'm like, oh, boy. I mean, I, I don't use sunscreen as much as I probably should. I'm going to probably try and do some more now after this. But I don't spend hours a day outside every day either. If I am outside at the pool, yeah, that's the main time I put sunscreen on. I run early in the morning outside, so don't need the sunscreen then. Mm. Well, thank you listeners for being with us for yet another episode of Dr. Doctor. You can find this and all our old episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. Just click on Episode Archive at the top where you can search over 260 episodes by topic or guest. And now we're available in video format. You can see us and our lovely skin. Uh, <laughs> you need only go and click on the YouTube link that's near the top of the homepage on drdoctor.org. And finally, if you have a question or an idea for an episode topic, click where it says submit a question to let us know what you think and give us ideas for future shows. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And this is Dr. Chris Stroud. And Dr. Andrew Mullally. And we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Doctor Show and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Plus, find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.